Okay. All right. Uh, it's Chapo. Uh, Tuesday, July 5th. I uh, hope everyone had a great uh, 4th of July holiday, but a little housekeeping at the uh, top of the show here. Uh, first off, a reminder that we have a upcoming show in Portland, Oregon at the Aladdin Theater on August 4th. Uh, tickets available at chapotraphouse.com uh, slash live. Uh, we are also in the midst of an ongoing summer merchandise sale. Uh, links to uh, buy our merch. Uh, also available at chapotraphouse.com. Um, but before we get uh, started on the show today, we have to uh, dip into the, the rarely, the rarely, if ever, accessed uh, corrections department. On uh, one of our more recent episodes, we uh, speculated about uh, whether the uh, abortion pill misoprostol could uh, show up in a blood test and be used to legally punish the taker. Uh, I don't. We don't often do that. Obviously, um, keep your corrections to yourselves. But when you are a doctor with a PhD uh, knowledge in the subject at hand, especially of this importance, I will just read uh, from the doctor in question and thank him for this uh, correction. Could the hospital do a blood test and find misoprostol? Good question. And the answer is no. Misoprostol is quickly meta- metabolized into misoprostol acid, which is rapidly removed from the blood after taking a, a single 400 micro. Uh, microgram dose is to take an orally or placed under the tongue. The misoprostol acid is essentially gone by 120 minutes and by 350 minutes with vaginal administration. After three doses of 800 uh, micrograms every three hours, it should be completely gone from the system within 12 hours after the last dose, if not sooner. So a uh, little little knowledge from the uh, medical field there. Um, we, were, we were speculating on this, but we're in fact wrong. Uh, it will not show up in a blood test after at least an hour or two. So, that being said, uh, dusted off all, all that business. Uh, let's start the show, gentlemen. How was your Fourth of July weekend? Uh, it w- I still have all of my fingers, so uh, only a moderate success. <laughs> uh, I suppose uh, you know. I mean, uh, the the holiday was um, a bit marred by uh, several mass shootings that took place. Uh, no, in this country, I don't believe it. <laughs> uh, Felix, one of them in your backyard in uh, Highland Park. Well, well uh, the, two. Uh, I mean, two of them. I mean, there are honestly like two in Chicago. There's like, I mean, obviously the one where like people uh, died, to my knowledge, is going to be the bigger one. And uh, because Highland Park doesn't typically get shot up. But the exact same day, I mean, uh, O'Block Parkway Gardens, uh, actually closer physically to where I grew up, if not uh, socioeconomically at all. Uh, there was a mass shooting there, too. Um, uh, a fairly popular rapper on the Chicago drill scene was unfortunately hit. Uh, no one, to my knowledge, in that one has died, uh, but I, I could be wrong about that. But yeah, there were two pretty big ones in the greater Chicagoland area. Um, and another one in uh, Philadelphia. But I mean, that to me is still not clear if there was a shooting or whether people were just reacting to fireworks because they thought that, you know, it basically basically mass shootings have turned us all into golden retrievers or traumatized vets <laughs> every time the July 4th rolls around Hiding under the coffee table. Sort of, yeah, loud outdoor setting with fireworks is like going to be a dicey proposition now uh, with given how on edge everyone is. But yes. I mean, you know, I don't want to I don't want I don't want to belabor the uh, the mass shooting report too long, but I mean, the fact that an basically an emo SoundCloud rapper just killed six people Oy. is I, I mean, what do you even say about it? I mean, it's just like, I, I don't know what the, how this speaks to the evolution of these sorts of atrocities, but like, good God. I mean, I mean, hasn't just, that always kind of been what it's been ever, yeah. since the, ever since it shifted in America? Like in America, mass shootings used to be you go into your office and you kill all your fucking coworkers because you got fired or something and like three other things have gone wrong. Like the average age of the mass shooter seems to have like slid down and yeah. then it just whoever has done it for the past like about 30 years give or take uh they are the equivalent of an emo soundcloud rapper for their time right because it's always it's like you know and there are tons of exceptions to this just because of how frequently they happen and how many people live here but it's usually like a disaffected like 18 or 19 year old like white male who um uh, gone insane and has easy access to weapons right yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it just seems like uh, this one is literally living up to the stereotype, though, of like kind of, uh, yeah, like a Pepe, Pepe Vaporwave emo SoundCloud rapper um, shooting up a Fourth of July parade and killing six people. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's, the, it's the losers jihad, you know, and it's just uh, it's a revolt of failed influencers. 
It's like the end of Day of the Locust, basically, with assault rifles. Like the the thing now, because like like no one thinks these can stop really. Like people people who get like now now it's happening where like the people who get shot and like survive and see their friends die are young enough that they're like they don't remember a time where you don't document everything. So they're like immediately after they get shot, uh, they're like, yeah, I got fucking shot. This sucks, and nothing's gonna change. That, 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 you know, no one has any expectations for it, whether it's like Republicans who, you know, they have some like harebrained idea where it's like, oh, we're going to put two turnkeys on a door and put it, put a, a, one of the guys who did uh, a massacre in Fallujah in front of it with a grenade launcher. <laughs> or it's like uh, uh, Democrats. No one really thinks it's going to stop, especially not the people who, who are victims of it now, which is a pretty depressing commentary. But the only consolation that we have is like trying to stick the shooter on whoever yeah because like, like like sometimes you can be like okay this was like a maga guy sometimes they're like a vague you can assign some like vague left quality like there's the dayton guy um but they usually do fit one consistent profile which is like an incredibly like mentally ill socially disaffected person you know I mean, like, well, I guess this this is this is getting into uh, where I'm. Uh, I'd like to head for today's show, which is um, basically like I'd like to examine how the um, consent manufacturing factory is um, attempting to deal with the reality of which, like, uh, basically everyone knows whether it comes to like the insane violence caused by guns or the new reality of abortion being criminalized and probably contraception and gay rights soon to follow after that. That, like, you know, yeah, the country is changing changing in ways that most people think is for the worse, but that like everyone has pretty much uh, resigned or has basically like uh, abetting the fact that no one's going to do anything about it. And we just have to like get used to it. And I want to open with um, this uh, CNN article. Um, that's just, just a look inside the, uh, the, the Biden white house right now. And it's a headline here. After a string of Supreme court setbacks, Democrats wonder whether Biden white house is capable of urgency moment demands. It begins with uh, Deborah Messing was fed up. Yes, that's uh, that's Deborah Messing of uh, Will and Grace and Twitter. You know, fame. While all this terrible stuff has been happening, I have only been thinking nonstop. How is Debbie Messy holding up? I need to know. And I'm really <laughs> well, glad they finally Matt. let me. I, I can relax now that I'm aware what's going on with Debbie. Hey, when you're all out of Grace, all you got left is Will. <laughs> well, um, I do my best. I do my best. Uh, so it says Deborah Messing was fed up. The former Will and Grace star was among dozens of celebrity Democratic supporters and activists who joined a call with the White House last Monday to discuss the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. Okay, just like first paragraph of the thing. Um, what like why were they, why were they having this conference call with fucking Deborah Messing and other celebrities? <laughs> like why That's why was she even on the fucking call? Why are they why, why are they talking to like governors and fucking senators about this shit? That's their actual constituency. That's what they care about. Where, yeah. Where's Jen Psaki right now? Who's she hanging out with? Yeah, I mean, if I, you really put a gun to my head, like, what, what is the reason beyond her just being, like, the true constituency, like, the person the Democrats are performing for the most? I would say that there is probably, like, an incredibly stupid plan to replace Kamala with her. <laughs> It'd be like, what, what are you talking about? There is no Kamala Harris. This is a Mandela effect. <laughs> we vice did it, Will. Always it was always Debbie Messing. She was always yeah. the vice president. But she's, she's, she's also half Indian and half Jewish. So we're still <laughs> like doing that. Um, but no, it's a, there's never been a woman named Kamala Harris uh, who dated uh, Montel Williams. Uh, she's never existed. She's never done a weird laugh or look frightened by a grill. These are all deep fakes. It's always been actually, messing. Actually, Will and Grace referred to the Will there referred to uh, Willie Brown, former mayor of San Francisco, who Deborah Messing dated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like so. I'm look. You know, I'm sure the White House has had other calls with you know people who aren't uh, you know former sitcom actors. But uh, it says here uh, the mood was fatalistic, according to three people on the call, which was co-organized by the advocacy group Build Back Better Together. <laughs> Build Back Build Better back Together. Better Together. Uh, but like you know, like uh, this next paragraph will, will you know may, may may come as a shock if you're familiar with uh, Deborah Messing's sort of uh, uh, online personality. But it says here Messing said she'd gotten Joe Biden elected and wanted to know why she was being asked to do anything at all, yelling that there didn't even seem to be a point to voting. 
Others wondered why the call was happening. So, I mean, Deborah Messing has come around. I mean, like, I I think Susan Sarandon uh, would like her apology now, Deborah. But I mean, Deborah has come around to the like, why the fuck? We like, we did vote for you. We did everything. Like, and so why are you asking us for anything when you're saying like, you're, you're, you're now getting on the emergency action call to deal with Roe v. Wade being overturned? And it's a, you know, Joe Brandon and the Build Back Better Together fucking advocacy group being like, okay, Deborah Messing, what do you got for us? What do you got? What are you going to do? Debbie, uh, we, need you, we need action from you now. I have an idea. Fight song two. <laughs> new music video, new celebs mouthing the same song but maybe like openly weeping while they do so or something to make it get the, make the get gravity strange, of the, the situation sh- more clear get the stranger things kids in on it they, they were missing from the last time we need to, we need because the youth vote is essential and apparently uh young people really don't like joe brandon yeah the, the, the kids are are finished with brandon yeah, yeah. get get the, get the kids get some demogorgons in there we gotta get okay stranger things stranger things build back better together with them but so okay you know, so uh, the mood on the call among, you know, Biden's basically the Biden um, Sadukar is, I mean, even there, it's looking, they're looking grim. They're, they're looking at the God Emperor going, come on, man, you want us to go to Arrakis? What the fuck? I mean, <laughs> just after all the shit we've done for you, I mean, fucking, you know, we killed Duke Leto and his family and now you're asking us to vote? What the fuck? Everyone, everyone is Lorenz Tate at the end of Dead Presidents, throwing the chair at Martin Sheen. <laughs> All the shit I did for this motherfucking country. Do you uh, agree with Deborah it? Messing that she got Biden elected? Like, oh, absolutely. Yes, I do. I agree. It I was do. all her. Yeah. yeah. Deborah Messing and the cohort of people that she represents was certainly like, yeah, that was the Biden Sadukar. Those are the people that were most fucking uh, dedicated and probably worked the hardest to not just vote, but, you know, do everything else to elect Joe Biden. Like, which I, by that, I mean, could, you know, harangue other people to vote for Joe Biden. But yeah. um yeah the, the yeah the call uh not going great but it says here uh so it says you know uh, Deborah's yelling and and openly wondering why the call is happening and if there's even a point to voting at all uh the article goes on to say that afternoon participants received a follow-up email with a list of basic talking points and suggestions of Biden's speech clips to share on TikTok <laughs> That'll do it I I I think I I think that'll do it I think like a uh, clip of Joe Biden wear, wearing like a cap and a scarf and goggles and driving around in a Duesenberg and saying, <laughs> saying, something, saying, something like, saying something like a woman's a woman's choice is a thing that she's got to choose and no one wants to have an abortion. But you got to think that if you're going to have a baby, you got to that's a choice and it's a person, <laughs> but it's a choice. And thank you. Um, it's, it's funny. I mean, like it mentions it. It mentions like, uh, OK, like on the, the action list, actionable items. Here's a list of TikTok links that you can share on social media of Biden looking smart and in charge. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but have you seen um, uh, TikTok being blamed a lot recently for why young people don't like Joe Biden? Yeah, no, they're doing this a lot. They did this with military recruiting, too. They're, they're blaming TikTok for like the shortfall in uh, military recruiting. They're blaming yeah, it for because- a lot. Yeah, because troops are on TikTok showing what being in the military is actually like yeah. or just being like, this sucks. But I mean, like I've seen a lot of, I don't know, like a, a lot of commentary from people being like TikTok is brainwashing young people into hating Joe Biden because like it's just, you know, short context free clips of him looking like a doddering buffoon or, uh, you know, uh, uh, TikTok clips attacking him or like, you know, propagandizing the youth into being now, I think, 70 percent disapproval rating for Joe Brandon among people under the age of 30. <laughs> But like by 60 or 70 percent, they still want Democrats in control of the country, but they just hate Joe Brandon and that he's become like a, like a punchline, like he's become a stand in for everything like ineffectual and just fucking incompetent about like the country we live in now. And a lot of people are blaming TikTok for that. So the way to counter that better TikToks, more TikToks, positive Brandon affirming TikToks instead of Brandon defaming TikToks. What if we set one of those clips where he just fucking glitches out for 30 seconds? <laughs> Uh, to one of those cool robot sounds that they like to use on there. That'll be fun. Uh, <laughs> Remembering my childhood in 1943. Um, I think I, I, you know, why am I giving the White House advice? Why, you know, what would they even do with it? Right. But what is, what is the new, what is the new thing for young people? And by young people, I mean everything from actual young people to millennials who are now in their fifties. Uh, it's to go online, you know, be the most terrified person ever, never do anything, never confront anyone, just accept any disrespect that comes your way and be like, oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm unhinged. I'm mentally ill. 
I'm crazy. I'm unmedicated. I'm scary. I'm a schizo. You know, every everyone everyone has this. You know who's really unhinged in in, in his chaos era is the <laughs> the man who doesn't know where he is <laughs> and has given uh, like seventy billion dollars to an army that's losing like a thousand people an hour. Pretty unhinged. Just like yeah, dropping billions of dollars in small arms and fucking shoulder fired rockets with no not even like checking where they're going it's, it's fine they'll be all right yeah no yeah that's chaos I think, energy yeah. i think that they should what, what's the what's the thing they do now where it's like uh it, it's the vacant stare that's like the new thing for like uh women influencers but joe certainly has that oh he has got it <laughs> he's succubus maxing yeah yeah um <laughs> You know, the feminine urge, man, to, uh, to take your Adderall and your and your iced coffee and get railed in a Madewell dress in your unhinged era. <laughs> uh, just a, another few details from this uh, CNN article. It's just here. Uh, the call. OK, uh, the call with Deborah Messing uh, three days after the decision eliminating federal abortion rights encapsulates the overwhelming sense of frustration among Democrats with Biden. Okay. This call was three days after this shit already happened. Like, uh, were there any calls with celebrities like within the month leading up to like when they were like, everybody knew this was going to happen. Nope. They were still shocked. They didn't think it was going to go be released the day it was. And they were all like getting coffee enemas or something. Yeah. I listened to this. It says, Uh, More than a week after the abortion decision, top Biden aides are still wrangling over releasing new actions in response, despite the draft decision leaking six weeks earlier. White House counsel Dana Remus had assured senior aides the Supreme Court wouldn't rule on abortion that day. A White House press aide assigned to the issue was walking to get coffee when the alert hit. Several Democratic leaders privately mocked how the president stood in the foyer of the White House, squinting through his remarks from a teleprompter as demonstrators poured into the streets, making only vague promises of action because he and his aides hadn't decided on more. Then Biden's July 1st meeting with governors to talk about their efforts to protect abortion rights was planned so last minute that none of those who attended came in person and several of those invited declined to rearrange their schedules to appear virtually. God damn, this is like when our, us scheduling a business meeting. <laughs> like, this is worse than our shit. Like, <laughs> Zoom's not working for me right now. What are we going to do? Can we reschedule? Right, can guys, I call back? Is, yeah, Biden's like, have, I have my AirPods in. He's, he's swallowed one. <laughs> Remember, these were the guys who you had to elect because they were the adults in the room with the experience to actually govern. That was funny. Uh, just a little bit. Uh, it says here, multiple Democratic politicians who have reached out to work with Biden, whether it's on specific bills, brainstorming or outreach, often don't hear anything back at all. Potential appointees have languished for months waiting to hear if they'll get jobs or when they'll be done with vetting. Invitations to events are scarce. Thank you calls barely happen. OK, it's the thank you calls that really, Honestly, that really calls me. That grinds my gears. Just, you know. Just got you got to send a thank you note. Got to th- come on, thank man. You call you got to do it. Come on, man. That's I mean, it's amazing coming from Biden too because like all that glad handing, backslapping bullshit is how he made it to the top. I mean, he's a total himbo. It always was, but he was great at that retail politicking. And now even that has deserted him. He's just this turd floating on the top of a of a fucking uh, swimming pool. Right. So, like, I mean, like, that's, you know, like, uh, 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 that's a sort of a keyhole glimpse into what's going on behind the scenes or rather what's not going on behind the scenes at the highest levels of, you know, executive authority in this country right now, you know, as, you know, uh, shit just continues to spiral out of control. And like we, 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 you know, confront these like horrific and intractable problems that are only getting worse, whether it be guns or whether it being like, you know, the, the, the specter of um, a, abortion being criminalized and, and, and you know, like a women suffering, dying or being put in jail as a result of that. And um, just like on that angle, like for the rest of the show, I'd like to I'd like to examine, um, like I said, what's going on over at the consent manufacturing uh, f- factory this past week? Because I think looking at the uh, the paper of record, uh, the, the, the New York Times and how they have reacted to this situation, I think, is very telling. Now, sure, sure. Like, you know, it's not like they've I'm sure they, they have editorialized that the end of Roe versus Wade is a bad thing. And I'm sure they have, you know, uh, uh, featured articles or op ed pieces from people, um, you know, bemoaning this lack of uh, this lo- this loss of our fundamental rights here. 
Um, and I'm sure they've they've demanded better gun control, you know, regulations or laws. They, you know, they, I'm sure they've they've advocated for all these things. But as we've talked about for the last three or four episodes on this show, I think like at a certain level, everybody understands that there's nothing they can do, or if there are the things that they can do are like outside the realm of what what can be considered acceptable and like, you know, still have a functioning New York times as a paper and like the government that they cover and have to like sort of bolster leg- the legitimacy of would become untenable. So uh, it's just a number of articles this week in the New York times, specifically on the abortion issue has chosen instead to, I think like, I mean, I think it's really telling about like the, 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 the gravity of where they are trying to sort of finesse the opinion of their like overwhelmingly liberal readership. And that is to basically accept what is happening and to um, realize that, you know, sort of like that it's not so bad. And that now that more or less, you know, complete, complete rule by a moral minority of opinion is actually the fault of the people who are opposed to uh, this particular minority, that it's time to be nicer to them and it's time to understand them. And I think a, like a, uh, uh, a good example of that, and like I, I don't need to go into this whole article, but uh, the Pamela Paul op-ed. Uh, Pamela Paul is now the head of the op-ed page. She used to be the head of the book review. She is married to Brett Stevens, and like, it, look, she's every bit as boring as her husband. So I don't need to read this article. Essentially, the uh, Pamela Paul's article is about how, like, you know, the the left and right have uh, come together to agree on one thing. Like, you know, women shut up, and she spends the first paragraph of the article talking about, you know abortion being criminalized. Then she spends the next eight paragraphs making a moral equivalence between the criminalization of abortion and what the extreme right wing and their stranglehold over the judiciary is about to do to women in this country and essentially like pronouns and trans people. And like, you know, saying that, that, that both are equally a threat to women. And I think what's going on here is that what they're offering women in the face of the fact that their rights are being taken away from them and they're being taken away from them by a system that the New York Times is complicit in supporting is not to, you know, uh, demand or ask anyone to fight for those rights or to resist this. But what they are giving them instead is uh, trans people to shit on and like to, to point to them as the reason for why this is happening. Rather than at anyone with actual power, they are going to basically give permission to, I think, a large swath of their liberal readership to blame uh, you know, uh, trans women and trans people, like as a whole, for for the, for their loss of rights, and and gay people too. Like, like they're going to point to you know to put to trans people is like, oh, okay, like like they're the ones that have gone too far, and they have provoked this backlash. And like I said, I think it's this like using their authority to give permission to people to like and and cajole them not to get angry at you know the Supreme Court or our political system or like I said, the moral minority that is now um, using the course of law to impose their views on the rest of the country, but to blame it on and attack a particularly vulnerable and small minority group. I mean, like it it doesn't matter if people are like um, Gen Xers or boomers. The only thing that a lot of people remember, regardless of whether they lived through it or not, is George McGovern. So like their, their take on this, the, the, the past few years all they're seeing is like, oh, no, we just we need to do Bill Clinton again. We need to do exactly 1992 because we're in the exact same conditions. And instead of having like a sister soldier moment and, yeah, we can also have one of those. We're, we're going to do this. I mean, it's got to be the, the, the blame has to go somewhere away and down. It can't go up because that that has implications uh, that that no one at The New York Times and nobody who really reads The New York Times is interested in confronting. So. I mean, and, and, you know, people say like this stuff is used by like hate mongers to justify. And it's like to an extent that's true. But like the, the real goal of this is just to give you a narrative, as you're saying, uh, of, of blame that allows you to just continue not doing anything uh, because there's nothing to do. Like you see it with the Democrats uh, all the way up to the top, like with that article we were talking about. I got to I actually want to read go back and read the last line in that Biden article, if I can find it. Okay, uh, last paragraph is, beginning with uh, the country didn't elect Joe Biden. Yeah. Biden has been batting away complaints that he's out of sync with his party since before he launched his presidential campaign. The country didn't elect Joe Biden because they wanted a Democratic Donald Trump to go out there every day and divide the country more, said Cedric Richmond, who left his own seat in Congress to serve in the West Wing for Biden's first year. Democrats attacking Biden are scapegoating the president, 
or distracted and not focusing on what they should be focused on. He saved democracy once by beating a tyrant. He's doing it again, but he doesn't do it by beating his chest. The attacks Biden is facing now are the same foolishness that got us Donald Trump. Hillary wasn't good enough. She's not fighting hard enough, Richmond said. That's what got us Donald Trump. That got us Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett. Case closed. Case closed. This is what they tell themselves, that people who are outside of power, uh, who can only act individually as voters or citizens, are responsible for the outcomes that they are, from the center, supposed to be directing. And if that's the case, there's nothing you can do. So accepting things becomes the only rational choice. But to do that, you have to have a narrative that, 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 that is self-absolving. And and also like it's it's it I think it's it's more evil than that because like yeah you have to have a narrative that absolves everyone who you know created the situation we're currently living in and and deflect anger away from them or anyone in power but also you need a scapegoat you need people to blame and like I said with the Pamela Paul article it is very clear that like what they are giving you know women who you know uh, you read the New York Times or liberal women who regard themselves as feminists when it confronted with like what do we do about this law this fundamental loss of our rights is to be like, well, it's, it's trans women who did this to us because they went too far and they provoked this reaction. It's like everything is all, always about like, oh, like the, the, the right wing, uh, they wouldn't have gone as far as they're going now had it not been for these like these things that even we're uncomfortable with. And we and we can now fixate on that rather than like, let's say, encouraging our readers to, you know, resist these unjust laws or fight them and fight the people who are fucking uh, doing it to you. And like, you know, it's not just a Pamela Paul article. I'll also point to, I don't know if you guys saw or not, there was a, you know, a, a news article that was a, essentially a profile of uh, like young women under the age of 30 who are part of the pro-life movement. And, you know, like the article does mention that like among that cohort of women under the age of 30 in this country, support for abortion rights is as high as it's ever been. And I'm talking in like the like 80 or above percentile. So, the, but like, I'm not saying it's like um, totally inappropriate to write an article that attempts to explain the mindset of these people, but the choice in focusing on this tiny minority of opinion within the broader anti-abortion movement to make it seem like actually, you know, a lot of young women are very uh, are okay with um, abortion now being criminalized, and let, let's hear what they have to say rather than speaking to the 80% of women or young women in this country who are terrified by this. And, and disgusted by it and, and want some sort of political leadership to fight the people who are doing it. It's just a question of like how you dole out sympathy here. Is the sympathy for uh, the women who are now finding themselves um, just completely uh, bereft of any access to um, reproductive health care? Or is it like, the, or do, 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 they, do they and their fears need to be spoken to and understood? Or do we focus on like these, like, you know, like uh, a 20 year old Catholic college students who are just like, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to support babies. Or I can't wait for our country now to like you know uh, truly show love to mothers and their children. Going back to the uh, like the first type of op-ed, I mean, I guess this is like infected everyone now because like what well, you know what else can you do? What else can you do but like uh, pin all pin all your woes on uh, somebody else who usually probably did not cause them? But like you know, okay, the the, the thing with like birthing people and that shit. Um, there was such like an incredible backlash to that with like NGOs that like, I, I haven't even really like seen it recently, like maybe like a couple times this year, you know, and I, I agree. It's like, you know, like annoying and stupid, but like no one, no one is whether they are like just a person online or yeah, like an op-ed no one could ever just be annoyed by something anymore. It has to have like a moral invective behind it because no, no consumption is free from political action. It can't just like be annoying and heavy handed. It's like yeah. the, it's the reason for every bad thing that's happening. Yeah, Felix, do you, I mean, to your point here, like the, the Pamela Paul article, like I said, it spends the first two paragraphs just dispensing with the reality that like the the right the right wing of like our political system in this country has just you know, is now basically declared open season on women everywhere in this country. Then spends the next eight paragraphs attempting to make a moral equivalence between that and the idea of a 10-year-old um, not being able to get, you know, abortion after being raped is on like the, the same, like is the same level of assault on women and their rights and dignity as saying, you know, pregnant people. And the thing is, yeah, 
do I think that sort of like um uh sort of like inclusive language like that gets a little dopey at times? Yeah, I do. But I don't think the people who um uh, prefer that kind of language or in any way, shape, or form a threat to women at all, much let alone a moral equivalence to the idea of, you know, uh, women dying from an ectopic pregnancy that could, you know, uh, easily be prevented. Or, or this idea, like, and she goes on to talk about, like, you know, J.K. Rowling and TERFs, that, like, you know, uh, calling calling a woman a TERF or disagreeing with, uh, like, TERF ideology is, like, you know, call, is, like, calling a woman the N-word or something like that. Like, like, this is the same level of assault on, like, the dignity and humanity of women as what, like I said, like, the right wing who has actual power in this country, like, what they are doing. And, yes, like, academia and, like, you know, like, so, like dopey fucking, like, Twitter people, like, yeah, like, they are annoying sometimes. But, like, a, it's like really none of your business one way or the other. And it like, how much does it really affect your life or personhood in the same way that like this legal regime that like removes you of your basic rights does? Well, I mean, everyone's, everyone's in their own, you know, mind palace, right? It, it, you know, all the people that like devoted, voted in like the Virginia state legislature elections or the Virginia house of delegates uh, were like, I'm sick of how people are treating JK Rowling. It reminds me. It reminds me of like what people do with shooters now, where it's like they'll they'll see like a, a clearly like photoshopped image, like a clear like fake post, where it's like the shooter being like, "I'm I, I'm I'm a leftist and I'm a federal agent," and they'll be like, "Oh my god, I'm the only I'm the only one who can who can see this. I've I've cracked the case. The most online generation in history, and they cannot spot a fake to save their fucking lives because they don't want to. Everyone wants to live in their own uh their, their own created reality where they're the sole thing they care about is the only thing that's happening. Every event goes through that. And <clears throat> along these lines, I did, I did want to uh, look briefly at what I thought was the most insane of these uh, New York times um, opinion essays along this front. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this one. It's, it's the one by this woman called uh, Leia Labresco Sargent. Uh, headline in a post row world, we can avoid pitting mothers against babies. And essentially the point of this article is that um, she, she and her partner traveled to a Catholic hospital in New Jersey to terminate her ectopic pregnancy. But she but like, but, but in her mind, that's not an abortion. And um, tell it to okay. the judge lady. Yeah. So, I mean, like, let's just read a little bit here. It says um, from a pro-life perspective, delivering a baby who is ectopic is closer to delivering a baby very prematurely because the mother has life threatening eclampsia. A baby delivered at 22 weeks may or may not survive. A baby delivered in the first trimester because of an ectopic pregnancy definitely won't survive. But in both cases, a pro-life doctor sees herself as delivering a child who is, is as much a patient as the mother. A pro-life approach to ectopic pregnancy may count in similar procedures, but still sees it as different from an approach that equates to an, to an abortion. When a mother's life is threatened by the course of her pregnancy, there is a wide gulf between a culture that assumes she and her baby are pitted against each other and one in which both are valued. I mean, like, say what you will, but like in that situation, like they're, they are pitted against it. Well, actually, no one's pitted at anyone at that point because it's not a baby. It's, it's, yeah. like, it's dead. <laughs> like it's, there's no chance of it ever being born or its life being saved. And it is and like whatever that is, clump of cells or a fucking infant that you want to put out. It is very much pitted against your life and a decision needs to be made. And the thing is, she made the decision that anyone would but is now claiming for herself this idea that like, oh, it's actually I, I didn't get an abortion. Even though, like the, the the procedure that she underwent was exactly the same thing as everyone else gets in that situation, and is now being denied uh, women in her position all over this country. Well, what she wants is just like basically a concierge service to give her a, a uh, like an elevated uh, abortion experience with essentially just uh, the trappings of of uh, of uh, a delivery, so that she can personally like resolve the cognitive dissonance of being confronted with something that in her mind is like not a, not a legitimate medical procedure. Now she knows it is. So she has to, Oh, well time to just build a, a new justif justification edifice around this fact, because as Felix said, you get to do your own bespoke reality. Now, if you want it to be actually, this is, this isn't an abortion. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pregnancy plus, then what are you going to do? No one's going to stop you, and somebody is going to be there who wants to have the same fantasy, and they're going to they're going to sign on. Yeah, this is the uh, this is also the official country of uh, mine is different. Yes, if, uh, mine doesn't count. And also, like uh, w whatever, um, however, she justifies this by saying that, like you know, we went to a uh, like a Catholic doctor who 
delivered this ectopic pregnancy um, as if it were alive, even though it was dead, and you know, used the exact same procedure as what is you know considered an abortion. Um, yeah, like I, in my head, like you know, uh, th- this now we don't have to pit mothers and babies against each other. It's like whatever's in your head doesn't matter, lady. Yeah, it doesn't matter for the women in Texas or elsewhere who now have to be flown across state lines to have their lives saved, and it right. won't like, fucking help you if you lived the, in a different the sort state. of uh, nuance that she's uh, insisting upon is not possible uh, in a legal regime because it's about drawing bright lines and imposing penalties which stops people from doing things. She says here, uh, the specifications for surgery remain the same, whether the surgeon is pro-life or not, whether the mother kept repeating baby to her nurses or stuck to saying pregnancy. But I wonder if an observer in the operating room could have seen the difference. If my surgeon was visibly more tender as he worked, knowing he could be (laughs) the first person to see our child, a child who would not ever see us. Doctors can't value women more by dismissing our babies as worth less. Even women who support abortion access may find it jarring to have their child's life dismissed when they hope they would hold this baby. It's better to be honest about tragedy and loss than to pretend that only one person is on the table. So, I mean, the thing that's unspoken here is that at an abortion, like the doctor just like he comes in and he puts a cigarette butt uh, out in your fucking navel and then says, all right, let's scrape this fucker out. Is that what the assumption here? Yeah. That like they do it wrong because they don't uh, value the baby. Like she's talking, she, the thing she's imagining, I cannot believe actually exists anywhere. Well, yeah, I mean, if you ever if you ever wanted uh, proof that American Catholics are Protestants, I mean, yes, they, they they've moved predestination up now where it's actually every event of your life. Yeah. Every like <laughs> they, they they can look outwardly the same, but if you're a bad person, when you get an when you get an abortion, your doctor is Jamie Kennedy from the Roe v. Wade movie. <laughs> And he sticks his hook nose up your cunt and and brains the baby with his with his Shylock nose and then uh, like puts a puts a hundred dollar bill in your asshole and gets change for it uh, out of your urethra like a coin star. Uh, But if you're like a good person, if you're if you're religious, if you're Catholic, you you go in there and you're like, hey, I want my assuredly dead baby delivered. And the doctor is like, absolutely. And the, you feel no pain, and it comes out, and he's alive. But uh, then he's just he's needed in heaven. And what you just got was not an abortion. It was just like um, God needed him. God needed that baby to uh, uh, be alive for like four seconds before well, in he this came case, out. The baby was never alive. It, 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 it did not take a breath. It, it did not die. It was already dead. And you know, like yeah. you know, like look. Uh, I'm happy this woman was able to avail herself of uh, medical treatment that comported with her whatever you know uh, religious uh, beliefs that she may have. But the thing is, like necessarily, uh, if we as a society are going to begin catering to those religious beliefs at the expense of everyone else, it doesn't fucking matter. And I don't, I don't, I like, I don't really care. And also, it's just like back to my original point, like why the paper of record in this moment in time at this like fundamental like like rupture in american history and culture do they feel the need to um hold up people like this as essentially like sympathetic or voices worthy of being included in this debate at the expense of the reality of like the not just the majority of opinion in this country but what i would think like any reasonable person would fucking rate like the 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 severity of like the kind of like the the scales of what's at stake here and i'm just going to read one more thing here uh she says Speaking of um, sort of the uh, boutique abortion experience that um, she's hoping to have, she writes, I knew that the Trappist monks of New Melloray Abbey would send us a tiny coffin free of charge as part of their ministry to bereaved parents. My, husband's, my husband knew that if anything went wrong, I wanted him to order an adult-sized one for me. We didn't get to bury our baby, and my husband didn't have to bury me. One surgeon had been right. Our baby died some time ago, and all he could find was the placenta. But while I recovered at home, we had something to know our baby by. We named this child Chameleon after St. Camillus de Lellis. He was a 16th century gambler who was treated so poorly by his doctors that he founded a nursing order and ultimately became a priest and saint. No, they named their kid after Chameleon Air. Come on. <laughs> yeah. We know. We know you like that song. It's just like like there's like the 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 anger that's that that is being given voice to is like okay if you're angry about it the only people like seemingly that are uh being being allowed to express their anger are the anger of people like pamela paul and jk rowling 
And it's anger directed at trans people, not at fucking right wing Supreme Court justices and the politicians that enable them. And it's just like, okay, if there's sympathy to be made out here, if there's, or if there's, if there's, if there's people's lived experiences that need understanding, it's, I'm sorry, it's this daffy fucking broad who's just like created some carve out in her head for her fucking religious beliefs that she, that she is choosing now to take away from everyone else. And this, that somehow that that's worthy of a fucking, uh, like, uh, crediting uh, morally as a point of view. Yeah, I mean, it's about validating your own fantasy world by invalidating what you're, you imagine somebody else's world as. You know, like, you have to accept my headcanon. Uh, that's basically what we're in now, a battle of Well, let's say, like, whose headcanon uh, counts and whose doesn't. Yeah, and exactly. It's pretty clear what, what, what the choice has now been made by, well, like I, said, I mean, the, uh, the, it, the it's not really a choice, though, is it? Like, Times. Who, who else's who uh, headcanon is going to count? People... With money and power and influence, or people without, like there's not. That's not really a contest. It's like the, well, the water finds its own level. There's no other choice they can make. You know, it just it speaks to the institutional realities and structures that 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 govern like content at that level. I just think, I mean, I like just these examples I've been talking about. I think it's very clear that like you know the the establishment media, the consent manufacturers are very clearly, uh, like, have decided, as, you know, maybe rightly so, that there's nothing they can do about this, or, like, there's no going back now. So rather than encourage people to uh, resist this, I think they're very clearly choosing to cultivate a sense of sympathy with the people who are doing, who are, who are inflicting this evil on the rest of us. Is that, you know, we, we should, we should uh, be encouraged to see things from their point of view rather than our own, or, or to fight them at all. We should just understand, we should be more understanding of them rather than seek to resist them in any way. Now, uh, I know that's a bit, a, a bit heavy, but I'd like to do one more. I'd like to close out the episode with one more New York Times article that is uh, a, a little bit, a, a view from the lighter side of things, but that very much fits in the wheelhouse that I've just been talking about. This is my favorite kind of New York Times article, and this is where you send a, uh, a, a staff reporter to cover the worst dinner party in the world and report back to readers on it. So would you guys like to visit, would you guys like to take a, a jaunty trip to Princeton, New Jersey, to sit down at a dinner table with the most no. insufferable people. Yeah, in the no, world. I, I, no, I don't want to really, do that. No. Why would I ever give a shit? Why would I, it ever matter to me who is who is uh, having dinner parties at Princeton? That's an insane thing to assume anyone would be interested in. You know, we, we don't want to go there, but we're going to go there anyway. Okay, we have so. To. That's what we're here we, for. We got to do it. We, 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 must, we must bear witness to the dinner party of Solveig Gold who is proud to be the wife of a canceled Princeton professor. Now, the one thing I was impressed in this article is the way Ms. Gold's cans look in that sundress. Awooga. <laughs> Awooga. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I'm, I'm paying attention now. Solvig Lucia Gold was setting the table in her backyard next door to the house once occupied by Albert Einstein. Her yard is a sweeping field of emerald green grass leading down to an 18th century blacksmith's cottage with stone floors that houses her home study. Ms. Gold, 27, was preparing for an intimate dinner with some of the few people, our little cabal, she said, who publicly admit being on friendly terms with her and her husband. The recently for fired, she prefers canceled, former Princeton Classics professor Joshua Katz. Most of the guests were much older than Ms. Gold. This included Dr. Katz, who was 52 and was once her professor. They married last July, four years after she finished Princeton with a summa cum laude degree in classics, and one year after Dr. Katz began his public flight with the campus left. The couple wow. ran arms wide open into the culture wars, with, which Ms. Gold says was characteristic of her, but not of him, the low-key professor whom everyone liked, who previously didn't ruffle feathers at the university where he had worked since 1998. I am the alpha, she wrote in the essay about their relationship. I'm not Lady Macbeth in this story, but I am obviously implicated in some way in getting him involved, she said. She gave me a certain kind of courage for doing this type of thing, Dr. Katz I'm, said. I'm kind of stunned that uh, Dr. Katz went out of private practice and back to academia. He had a thriving, <laughs> every, every comic talk, talk in New therapy. York. Yeah, they were all yeah. there. They were doing amazing bits, and he's going to just go to fucking Princeton from there? I, mean, I guess if to you get son, access though? to some like, uh, academic Lori, uh, Laura Linton's which is what I'm getting the energy. The energy I'm getting here is, uh, is oh, I'm sorry, Louise Linton. Yeah, that's it, right? Seth yeah, Mnuchin's wife. Yeah, Mnuchin's I'm feeling wife. this is like the academic version of her. Do you think Doctor Katz's son would have been a mass shooter? 
<laughs> oh God. No, no, not at all. That's very sad. Boy. Doc, ben that's was a wonderful, tough. wonderful yeah. son and man. That's, ben that's, was a yeah. wonderful son in the 90s. Ben in the 2020s with the internet, <laughs> yeah. he's probably getting ready to do a shooting. He's probably going to live stream it. I'm not kidding. But I'm like, sorry. you know, it's like, uh, what, what is Ray Romano and Dom Irera going to do now that, that their doctor has become a classics professor and they can't, you know, like they can't uh, sort They're of never share a find out what the deal is with airplane peanuts now. <laughs> they were so close to cracking it. Um, it's funny, though. Uh, there, there is a photo of uh, Dr. Couts in this article. And someone put it out to me that he looks very similar to Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder. <laughs> uh, but it says here, um, the trouble began on July 4th, 2020, when a group of Princeton faculty sent a letter to the university's president demanding that the university combat institutional racism. Anti-blackness is foundational to America, it declared. Four days later, Dr. Katz responded with a manifesto. A Declaration of Independence by a Princeton professor in Quillet, which is something of a house organ for the so-called intellectual dark web. He took issue with the proposed changes that would lead to civil war on campus and erode even further public confidence in how elite institutions of higher education operate. Everyone blah, blah, blah. is acting awesome here. I, <laughs> I love everyone here because it's like, yeah, you have one side that's like, we need to decolonialize the hedge fund that's also a CIA recruitment station. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, the other guy who's like, oh, so you want to put a burning tire around my neck, ANC style. <laughs> everyone, yep. this is how everyone acts. Everybody awesome. definitely uh, understanding the stakes of the moment and what's important. Yeah. Uh, outrage ensued over Dr. Katz's choice of words, which he defended as metaphorical. Nearly two years later, this spring fired Dr. Katz, who had tenure, saying that it was not for his outspokenness, but for new information that had emerged about his contact, uh, conduct during a sexual relationship he'd had with a student some 15 years earlier, an affair he had been suspended over before. Ms. Gold says that she has often been the only one standing between her husband in utter despair as his career crumbled and colleagues deserted him. A certain amount of period interest accompanied the revelation that the Princeton professor who'd lost his job over a relationship with one student was now married to another. Ms. Gold doesn't shy away from it. On her Twitter account, her avatar is a photo of herself in a wedding dress, and the background picture is of her with a group of Princeton professors, including her husband. <laughs> this, okay, this lady likes college way too much. She, yeah, yeah. She, these college addicts need to be dealt with, okay? <laughs> we need men... I'm against, you know, uh, uh, mandatory. One thing Biden loves is the idea of of not don't throw drug abuse, drug users in jail. Uh, make them go to mandatory uh, treatment, which is like there's no distinction there. But I'm absolutely in favor mandatory at gunpoint therapy for college addicts. If you are more than like two years out of college and you still have any opinions about anything going on in your old uh, school or any other one. You have to be uh, have your brain fixed because it is terrible for everyone involved. Yeah, this is like if Van Wilder was only doing the shitty parts of college. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you he's like an 11 year sophomore, but he's like, yeah, I, I can never leave this place. I'm going to go to hey. the Hillel meeting and argue about divestment. Hey, guys, I'm going to proctor an exam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rolls into when a fucking faculty budget meeting in a golf cart. <laughs> Uh, when Dr. Katz lost his job, Ms. Gold promptly published an essay about their relationship in Common Sense, the newsletter run by Barry Rice, a former writer and editor of the Opinion Department at the New York Times. My alma mater is not the school I once loved, went part of the headline, but Joshua Katz is exactly the man I knew I married. He's young at heart, and I'm an old soul, so it works, Ms. Gold later said. <laughs> Usually it's the guy saying shit like that to the woman who's 30 years younger than him. You're an old soul, but here she's just she's just uh, she she knows the thing, she knows what to say is what I'm saying. I mean, okay, she knows, her, she knows how to hit her marks. You know, don't agree with her. Don't like her lifestyle of never leaving college. You know, just gonna say that right now. But you know, fair is fair. Standing by her man, I think that's pretty admirable. It's pretty admirable how she before he can even say it, she's like, I'm basically older than him in soul. <laughs> <laughs> I like her. I mean, like I said, I uh, it's it's you know, I mean, I I respect any woman who's uh, willing to be in a relationship that that widely weighted in it, like or that widely imbalanced in terms of attractiveness. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you can be attracted to someone's mind, to yeah. the mind of the ancients, the classics, like you know Hesiod and Plato. Yeah. Um, she set the long rectangular table in the grass precisely with a Wedgwood blue and white tablecloth. 
Cloth napkins tied up in a yellow ribbons, place cards inked in neat cursive hand and melamine dishes in a provincial and de- Provencal design. She was schooled in formal manners from a young age, she said, as the only child to an actress and a soap opera writer. My mom threw a lot of dinner parties and I ended up talking to adults, Ms. Gold said. Okay, all right. The, the, the pieces begin to fall in place here. This is, a, this is a, you know, like a common sense Princeton. These are all just like halfway homes. And now the New York Times are halfway homes for kids who are only friends with adults throughout their childhood and were patted on the head and told how intelligent they were by their parents' dinner party guests. And that's okay, basically you know what? Personality. They have some good traits, too. You don't have to... Come on. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be, yeah. the, the sequel let's, let's, to, let's be understanding of child dorks, okay? Some of us were them. The sequel to Leon the Professional is like Natalie Portman <laughs> writing articles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, why it's like fine to be friends with a 40-year-old man. Uh, like, who's on the email thread condemning my husband? Everyone. Wait, who? <laughs> Everyone! <laughs> uh, she says, most of my boyfriends were conservative. They were all pot-smoking Republicans, she told her dinner guests later that night. That is, okay. You Worst know, of both uh, worlds. Solvig, you crazy for this one. <laughs> pot-smoking Republicans? Those are all your boyfriends? You're so, what, a, what a heterodox and contrarian personality this lady is. Good Lord. Uh, Solvig, pronounced Solve. Okay, sorry has received a lot of favorable male attention, said her best friend from Princeton. Okay, so this is just like, I, I, I gotta say, Solvay probably just has like a PR agent who's like, uh, can we get the New York Times to write an article about how hot I am and how smart and cool and dangerous I am? And, and also uh, include in a news article like every single detail about the, uh, you know, um, uh, Provencal plates and uh, uh, neatly uh, t- uh, tied off tablecloths that I'm uh, providing here to, my, uh, to my, the cabal of canceled professors. On the, I'm skipping ahead here. It says, on the night of the dinner, the couple had just returned from a brief decompression trip to Amsterdam and Cambridge, England, where Ms. Gold is completing her PhD in classics. She just submitted her dissertation, tracing the metaphorical language of slavery across the, across the platonic corpus. In her introduction, she writes, the very use of slavery as a metaphor may be hideous to many. Although the enduring popularity of Britney Spears' 2001 hit song, I'm a Slave for You, suggests that the metaphor has survived somewhat unscathed. She relishes that it's a hot-button topic, but fears that the woke people in classics won't read it because it's by me. Okay, we, okay. this is a terminal case of college addiction here. That is the opening paragraph for, like, what, a master's dissertation on classics? And there's, like, oh, What's so God. funny is, like, you know, the the... the there are people who are obsessed with the idea that uh, wokeness has like degraded some sort of scholarly rigor in the academy, and this is the alternative to the woke garbage, which is mostly tedious crap. And uh, but this is the other thing you get: tedious crap. That's all it is. Going all the way down, it's ego strokes by people who have much money and not enough things to do with it. Uh, also in attendance at this dinner party was Robert P. George, 66, a professor of jurisprudence and the chair once Am held by the now ignominious Woodrow Wilson. Uh, you know, I don't know if we talked about Robert P. George on the show, but I'm just going to read you a little bit of uh, uh, Robert P. George. Uh, this is from his, uh, this is what he writes about. In coitus, but not in other forms of sexual contact, a man and a woman's bodies coordinate by way of their sexual organs for the common biological purpose of reproduction. They perform the first step of the complex reproductive process. Thus, their bodies become, in a strong sense, one. They are biologically united and do not merely rub together. In coitus, and only in coitus, similar to, similarly to the way in which one's heart, lungs, and other organs form a unity, by coordinating for the biological good of the whole. In this case, the whole is made up of the man and woman as a couple, and the biological good of that whole is their reproduction. So this is the, this is the guy that um, uh, a 27-year-old woman um, is thrilled to let people know she's spending all of her time socializing with a, a an ancient man obsessed with coitus. Beaver? Uh, he has been called the country's most influential conservative thinker for his role in laying the intellectual groundwork for the fights against marriage equality and abortion rights. He founded the James Madison Program in American Ideals and Institutions, where Ms. Gold is a senior research assistant, and where another dinner guest, Bradford Wilson, 71, is an executive director. Okay, I mean, I, I, I gotta say, like, I, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm kind of coming around on Solve because she's getting these mummies around to her house who all are in a position to flatter not just her, you know, ego, but like a career. And she's getting out the sundress. She, she's <laughs> she's whopping those cans out. She's got torpedoes in the water. She's just, you know, basically uh, 
you know, she's already married to a guy who's like, you know, uh, 55 years old and looks like, you know, looks like the actual Dr. Katz. Um, and now she's getting by, uh, you know, studs like Robert P. George. She's, you know, just giving him a little bit of the old razzle dazzle. And then wouldn't you know that the New York Times is there to capture every minute of this scintillating dinner party? I mean, could you imagine like, I don't know, like just like a, another intellectual clicks, um, just sort of like lunch date being <laughs> like, being transcribed in this detail. Uh, right now, I'm imagining a, a rifle being shoved in my mouth, <laughs> my brain painting the wall. I, you know, uh, somebody suggested that this piece is like supposed to be dry satire or some bullshit. But just the fact of assuming that anyone would have a bare enough interest in these motherfuckers to make that land is giving them far too much credit and like just essentially swallowing their version of reality. Even if you think you're doing some sort of, uh, uh, uh clever undermining with like understatement or whatever, because no one should know about these people. I'll just read the, I'll just read two more paragraphs. Here. I mean, I, I know, I know, I know Felix is, Felix, is, we're struggling here, but I just want to read this. He's, he's taking like, massive damage like right now. His hit points are swirling <laughs> the, out the fucking drain, man. Yeah, I'm trying to like use meditation to sever my own spine without contact. <laughs> like a, when a really horny guy that goes to a strip club and comes without contact, I'm trying to end my own life through sheer meditation. I'm trying to make my body just like cut my spinal cord in half before I hear the rest of the story. Don't don't give up yet, Felix. Okay. At the dinner table, right. Ms. Gold, wearing a checked kitchen apron over her yellow dress, sat at one end and Dr. Katz at the other. Ms. Gold said a swift prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest and let these gifts to us be blessed. As the chilled pea soup. Oh, she's served. Christian, too. That's awesome. Dr. Katz previously had a cultural interest in religion, but her faith has rubbed off on him. I don't think he had ever taken seriously the idea of believing in anything until he started dating me, she said. Both of them had published in First Things, a conservative religious journal founded by her godfather, Richard Newhouse. It's it's like, I mean, she really <laughs> thinks a lot of herself where she's like, yeah, actually, he's really religious now. And I saved his soul. It's it's not the it's not the fact that like I'm like one tenth his age. And it, like, like, yeah, you got him into Catholicism. There are guys this age who are probably dating 27 year olds who have gotten into like metalcore for the 27 year old they married you know how uh we talked about how there's a significant chunk of americans who would absolutely like positively endorse genocide to protect like going to cheesecake factory on a friday night uh there is also a sliver of people who have much more influence and power uh who would will willing to do genocide to maintain their fancy little garden parties that are their entire lives like her life is this party it's just a bunch of people humoring her in all of her delusions and never challenging any of them. And she just gets to float through it. And if you take that away from her or people like them, that makes you worthy of death. Well, I'm uh, mad to take that away from her. That's what that's what canceling is. Yeah, that's cancel culture. If you take away the uh, the tenured positions of her senior citizen husband who fucks his students on a regular basis. Uh, I mean, you know, rich, like, I, I rich liberals like, want to have a tea party too. It's the same yeah. fucking thing. It, they're just, just mirror like, images of each other. I, I would have liked to have known anything except for like the names of these people and like what they do. And it's like, did I need to know like more of these people? Yeah. It's just like no, a I, fucking endless cycle. There's just a, always a new fucking asshole who's like, you know, has has a, you know intellectually crazy dinner parties, and then the fifty people who are like, check the uh, check this guy out. He's a piece of shit, and it's like, well, like now I know about him. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, you, now I know about him. Now I can never get him out of my brain unless unless they invent like the real uh, eternal sunshine surgery where I could forget everyone ever involved in any of this. But no, this is just, it's stuck here forever. It's like no, with the, the, the guy in uh, fucking uh, Tomorrow Never Dies who had the bullet lodged in his brain. The, the guy who is like a Nick, the evil version of Nick Denton from Gawker <laughs> in that James Bond movie. Uh, says you, Felix, I am going to, as soon as this episode wraps up, going to uh, reenact the last scene from Pi. And that <laughs> is going to take care of all these people's names. I'm never going to ever think about any of them again. 
But wait a second, though. I mean, like, okay, you, you guys can drill into your skull. You guys can, you know, uh, do some sort of ketamine LSD sensory deprivation tank to erase the last half an hour that I've shared with you. Um, I will be trying to get invited to one of Mrs. Solvay's dinner parties because, like, I feel like the disrespect that we're being shown as, like, you know, heterodox, controversial intellectuals is astonishing here. There's a group of um, Pakistani conservative intellectuals I know who I think should go to the dinner party. <laughs> <laughs> they would, they would really like, uh, expose like them to some interesting ideas. I, I don't even think these people deserve to die. I just, like, resent knowing about this. Yeah. How dare you? Well, yeah. forgiveness, please, to my to my co-hosts and friends here. But like, you know, like we can, we should just start having our own dinner parties. You know, how about that? Absolutely. How about that? And we're we're, we're going to invite we're going to invite all, all the all the actual all the really dangerous thinkers. You know that the New York Times looks absolutely down their nose at. like Doctor Omar. Uh, yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, 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 Mind of Jason. Dan yes, Quinn. Of course. Yeah. Uh, Dan Quinn. Yes. Of course. Oh, Dan Quinn had a good new video. Oh, you know, he could be at this woman's dinner party because he's back to saying the N-word. <laughs> Not like calling people. That, I mean, yeah, calling people that, but like as friends. You know what I mean? He's, I'm glad to see he's upright. Well, uh, like I said, um, just like I will host a dinner party for dangerous canceled intellectuals. But like, you know, I would like respect from the New York Times. I, I would like a reporter there to document what I serve, what I'm wearing, how my tits look. And, you know, which which 80 year old mummy um, has been canceled for what reason or has been put in put in jail for uh, whatever intellectual crimes. But, you know, I just think we need more respect as dangerous heterodox intellectuals. And I would like dinner party invitations to reflect that fact. Invite Will to your dinner parties, people. I can cook. If you, you're, you know? you're silencing him if you don't. I'm so sick of being canceled. I really am. It's a heavy burden. Well, see, so there you go. I mean, uh, truly sorry to uh, share the dinner party article with you, but I thought it uh, fit with a theme of just basically uh, everyone the New York Times thinks is uh, sympathetic, interesting, or uh, worthy of their attention at this moment in history where our society is circling the fucking drain. And they all are united in, yes, helping people indulge the, the narrative that they have, the most reassuring one possible, that they are going to be fine personally, which they probably will be, and that nothing is their fault or responsibility. Uh, I think that uh, about does it for me this episode. Uh, gentlemen, any uh, concluding thoughts or any house cleaning we need to do at the end of the episode? Just a reminder again for that uh, Portland show, August 4th at the Aladdin Theater. Tickets available now. We'd love to see you in Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. We'll be hosting a dinner party for a second. Yes, it's <laughs> just going to be a dinner party. You guys get to watch. All right. Actually, that's, that's a pretty funny idea for the show. Yep. Yeah, not yeah. Terrible. sort of yeah. like a dinner for idiots, or like everyone brings yeah, like the like worst we, guests we imaginable. All, we're all like the most. We bring our most heterodox ideas to the table. Yeah, and we just decide to you know chop it up without any PC nonsense holding us back. That's actually a pretty good idea. That's pretty. Yeah. Cool. That's pretty. <laughs> we might idea. do that. We'll think about it. All okay. right. We should ask uh, Bill Oakley to uh, to chef up some of the uh, weird oh my god yes yeah. uh, that he has from around the world for us. Yes. Oh, that'd be really fun. All right. Uh, again, um, extreme apologies both to Matt and Felix and our uh, and our listeners for um, sharing Solvay's uh, dinner party. But you know, like it's, it's come and see, come and see. That's I honestly I feel say. like Will has like a kind of the the ring type relationship with these articles, where once he is exposed to them, he has to make everyone else know, or else like it'll come. Yeah, but in like, seven days, I'm tomorrow. Fine come through the newspaper and fucking just choke him to death. I'll forget it in seven days. Everyone else will be like, you know, their jaw will be twisted into some rictus night fucking gaping maw. <laughs> but, you know, I'm doing great. It's fucked, up. it's fucked up to do that. It's it's the Necronomicon, really. Let's all let's all read from it together. Together. We'll, <laughs> you know, we'll just we're entering. Let's just enter post humanity together. Absolutely. Don't be afraid to let your body die. Second dark age. Yep. Go for it. Fuck the classics. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dark age person now. We don't I'm need knowledge. Well, you won't need we're, eyes where we're going. Yeah. Uh, perspective in art, gone. There's going to be a five, 50 foot guy in a building the size of the castle he's in, in front of a guy who is somehow taller than that building, even though he's in the, in the background. That's what art's going to be like. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. The, your, your house cat is the same size as your parents. Great yes, job. And, and someone is always an for trying to kill a snail. <laughs> <laughs> All right, until next living. time. Until next Bye. time. Bye bye. My wife and I brought the book to this cabin where I could study it undisturbed. 
It was here that I began the translations. Thunder, Estrata, Amantos. Linda? 